Hey guys, uh, before I start reading, I did just want to do a quick little PSA that I uh, may forget or slash do the voices differently. And yeah, just wanted to warn you as we get started into this uh, part two here. So, yeah. Chapter seven. Early the morning after the ball, Charlotte slipped out of the house before breakfast. She had decided that a solitary bathe in the sea might dispel some of the horror of the night's events, which had played over and over in her mind as she tossed and turned in her bed. The water was so cold and invigorating that it did wipe her mind blank for a time, but as she made her way back to Trafalgar House afterwards, she found her thoughts straying back to Sidney Parker and what he had said. So vivid was the terrible memory that when she looked up and saw the man himself, crossing the road in front of her, it seemed as though the power of her disordered thoughts had conjured him up. To her profound relief, he didn't see her. Indeed, he seemed quite as lost in his own thoughts as she had been in hers, his head down and his brow furrowed. The Parker household, when she got there, was in much higher spirits than she could summon herself, the children creating an uproar as they chased each other down the stairs and through the hall. In the breakfast room, Mrs. Parker looked up as she entered. Charlotte, did you sleep well? She gestured for her to sit down. How did you enjoy the ball last night? Charlotte suppressed a sigh. Very much, except... Except what? What's troubling you? Charlotte took a deep breath. I am afraid I offended Mr. Sidney Parker very gravely. Mrs. Parker's face cleared. Oh, conversations at balls are always unsatisfactory. No, I think he was very displeased with me. He seemed to think I was disparaging you all, and I was not. Indeed, I was not. I think Mr. Parker's schemes for Sanditon are quite splendid. I wish I had something to do to make, take my mind off of it. She felt as though she might cry. She reached for the teapot to distract herself. You shouldn't let Sidney upset you. He can be rather volatile, and he is inclined not to think very highly of our sex. She paused. He has had some bruising experiences in the past. Charlotte stopped what she was doing, the teapot suspended in the air. Oh? Mrs. Parker nodded. And now I think he finds his guardianship of Miss Lamb a troubling responsibility. Miss Lamb? She couldn't imagine Sidney Parker being anyone's guardian, let alone that of a young heiress. It boggled the mind. Mrs. Parker gave her a weary look. It was a surprise to Mr. Parker and myself, too. Sidney was involved in... She hesitated. In the sugar trade for a time, and it seems he was a good friend of Miss Lamb's family in Antigua. So he feels an obligation. Antigua, Charlotte said wonderingly. That seems so far away, a different world. I understand it is, replied Mrs. Parker, her expression thoughtful, even grave. The children rushed in, and Mrs. Parker's countenance instantly lightened. Now, she cried, getting to her feet and clapping her hands. We must get you all smartened up for church. Within the half hour, Charlotte, Mr. and Mrs. Parker, and the older children had set off for church. The wind was by now blowing hard enough to tear the hats from their heads, and Charlotte was holding fast to the ribbons of her bonnet so she didn't lose it. Only Mr. Parker seemed to be enjoying rather than enduring the exercise. A fine bracing day, 
he shouted back at them so that the wind didn't snatch the words away. I think Sanditon has the healthiest breezes of any seaside town in England. What do you say, Charlotte? I think if we were anywhere else, we would call it a gale, sir. Exactly, exactly, he said, before taking in a good lungful of it. But we have no gales here. Gales are not permitted to blow in Sanditon, are they? Mr. Parker gave her an approving smile. Well said, he turned to his wife. You see, I have made a convert, my dear. Ah, there's Mrs. Griffiths with her charges. They made a charming debut at the ball last night. Good morning, good morning. Up ahead, Charlotte caught sight of Miss Lamb and the others filing into the church. By the time she and the Parkers stepped in out of the keening wind, a different sort of noise had set up. This time, provided by the congregation, who were already seated, most of them villagers, who had not until now laid eyes upon Miss Lamb. It was only the entrance of Lady Denham, who at that moment swept in empress-like, that stopped them staring, as they curtsied and bowed good morning to her. Sir Edward and his sister Esther were, and his sister Esther were close behind her. On spotting Charlotte, Sir Edward sidled over without delay. Miss Hayward, looking very well, if I may say so. Recalling Clara's words the evening before, she gave him as cool a look as she could muster, wished him good morning without a smile, and then walked on. Esther, on witnessing this unsuccessful ex exchange, couldn't resist smirking at her brother as he turned back to her. You seem to have gone backwards in Miss Haywood's estimation, Edward. He didn't reply. He was too busy frowning in the direction of Clara Brereton as she followed Lady Denham towards the front of the church. "'Someone has been spreading false reports about me, I fear,' he said, just as Clara, almost as if she had heard him, turned and threw him a triumphant look. Such was the level of interest in the newcomers, particularly Miss Lamb, that it took some time for the congregation to notice that the vicar, Mr. Hankins, had climbed the stairs to the pulpit and was waiting to start his sermon. When they finally quieted, he began, though not before taking a moment to admire the young ladies he had not yet had the pleasure of meeting. Mr. Hankins was a great appreciator of the fairer sex. Consider the lilies of the field. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you, not even Solomon in all his glory was arrayed like one of these. Consider the lilies, dearly beloved. He paused, cast a benevolent glance towards the Mrs. Beaufort, who made much of dropping their eyes modestly, and cleared his throat. <clears throat> a young lady, I often think, is like a flower. When we speak of a young lady, we do not think of what she does, but what she is. We do not need her to do anything but be lovely, like a flower, in the eyes of the Lord. And as I look around me this morning... I see many lovely young ladies, as it were, lilies of the fields of Sanditon, some of them lovely English roses, pink and white, and today, he inclined his head in the direction of Miss Lamb, I see among us one or two more exotic blooms, and yes, my friends, there is room for them too in the garden of the Lord. If Miss Lamb was grateful for his words, she did not show it. He hurried on. And I shall say unto all you young ladies, there is no need for you to strive to do this 
or do that. You fulfilled Jesus' will by simply blossoming, simply blossoming, and readying yourselves for the day when you shall be plucked. Shall be plucked. Yes. Such was the power of his own vivid metaphor that he seemed to fall into a reverie, only rushing on when his audience began to fidget. And now to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. Amen. As everyone began to file out, Mrs. Griffiths bustled up to shake his hand, her charges following in her wake. Thank you, Mr. Hankins, she cried. What a charming sermon. He ran his hungry eyes over the young ladies. Mrs. Griffiths, you and your precious flock, or should I say bouquet of blossoms, are very welcome. The Beaufort girls simpered prettily at this, but Miss Lamb remained entirely unmoved. Still well pleased with his sermon's delicate message, Mr. Hankins could not resist continuing. Should your young charges need any nurturing, any spiritual guidance, young ladies are such delicate plants. Please, do not hesitate. You are very kind, vicar, said Mrs. Griffiths. Indeed, sometimes I feel in need of a little nurturing myself. She looked up at him through her lashes. Mr. Hankins's chest swelled, giving him the appearance of an ecclesiastically-minded pigeon. That, too, would be a pleasure. Good day, good day. On the walk back to Trafalgar House, Diana and Arthur having joined their small party, Mrs. Parker took Charlotte's arm. What did you think of Mr. Hankins's address, Charlotte? I didn't care for it, she declared in her usually frank way. I would rather be a toiler and a spinner than a lily of the field. Why should not young gentlemen be lilies of the field? Put in Arthur, overhearing. That would suit me very well. I think I could blossom and be admired with the best of them. What do you say, Miss Haywood? He squared his shoulders and smoothed down his hair, for the wind off the sea was still lively. Charlotte laughed. <laughs> very well. I will toil and you can blossom, each to his own. Arthur looked pleased. So long as there's plenty of port wine and buttered toast, you know. Back at Denham Place, Sir Edward had also returned from the church and was now frowning over his accounts. More damned bills, he said bleakly. His sister Esther, who had been gazing moodily out the window for some time, didn't bother asking him to elaborate. This window is becoming more and more of a wilderness. No, not window. This garden is becoming more and more of a wilderness she sighed. Meanwhile, the house quietly rots about us. It's like living in a particularly unpleasant fairy story by one of the Grimm brothers. She turned. What did happen with Clara Brereton, Edward? Clearly something has gone wrong there. He closed the ledger he'd been looking at with a bang and ran his hands through his hair. I can hardly bring myself to speak of it. But you will, Edward. Come, your task was to seduce her and disgrace her. He wouldn't meet her eye. She proved too much for me. She resisted you. That is only to be expected. You should have pressed your point home. Finally, he met her eye. She preempted me, Esther. Something like dread clutched her. How? He colored. She, she took me in hand and, and quite undid me. Edward! She had not anticipated this, least of all from that milksop Clara. But it was more than that. The thought of him with another woman in such a way 
it made her nauseous. "'I was as shocked as you, sister,' Edward said, a bitter laugh escaping him. "'She was no novice, I can assure you of that, and when I looked over her shoulder—' "'What?' said Esther sharply. "'Charlotte Haywood was observing us.' Her hand went to her mouth. "'I don't believe she understood what she saw,' Edward said hurriedly. "'But she was clearly disturbed, and Clara, I believe, denounced me to Miss Haywood as a villain. I tried to convince her I was only comforting Clara, but I fear I was not believed.' Esther sat down heavily on a chair, almost overcome. "'Edward, what have you done?' Do you realize you may have ruined our prospects? I should like to know what I should have done in the circumstances. She shook her head in disgust. You were thoroughly outplayed. Then something occurred to her, and when she met her brother's eye again, something of her old spirit had returned. But she can hardly blacken your character to Lady Denham without blackening her own. As for Charlotte Haywood, I will deal with her. Chapter 8 The following day was to be a busy one at Sandton House. Lady Denham had hit upon the idea of hosting a gathering, and nothing was to stand in her way. Its purpose was ostensibly to welcome Miss Lamb to the resort, but, in truth, she was eager to see how the girl withstood further scrutiny. The invitations had just gone out with a footman, leaving Lady Denham and Clara to investigate an intriguing package that had not long since arrived from London. The two of them watched as a maid unwound yet another layer of protective muslin. "'What is it? A bomb?' Clara was utterly perplexed. Lady Denham rolled her eyes. "'Oh, my poor child! Such ignorance born of poverty and deprivation quite brings a tear to my eye. No, my dear, this is a pineapple, a rare and exotic fruit cultivated expressly for me by an old friend at Chelsea Physic Garden. It will form the centerpiece at my luncheon party.' luncheon party. Lady Denham had not yet thought to mention her idea to her niece. What a delightful idea! She gave her aunt a sidelong glance. But then you are always thinking of bringing pleasure to others. Lady Denham nodded, gratified, as she was intended to be. I know, my dear, though it is an extravagance, but I thought we might make an exception to welcome Miss Lamb to our little community. Clara was surprised again. A luncheon party for Miss Lamb? I know what you were thinking. Why a luncheon party for her? That is not what I was thinking, Aunt, Clara began, but her aunt spoke over her. Yes, it was. Don't have the effrontery to contradict me. But with a fortune of a hundred thousand, Miss Lamb will be the guest of honor wherever she goes, no matter where she is from. But half a mile away in Sanditon, Mrs. Parker and Charlotte were admiring the invitation that had just arrived. It was now occupying pride of place on the mantel. Lady Denham requests your attendance at a luncheon party and pineapple tasting in honor of Miss Lamb, read Charlotte. That sounds very grand indeed. And quite uncharacteristic of Lady Denham, said Mrs. Parker, who, having known the chatelaine of Lady of Sanditon House rather longer, was more skeptical. I wonder what she's up to. The answer to that question was that Lady Denham had left her niece and the pineapple behind and gone to Denham Place to call on her other relations. Neither Sir Edward nor Esther had been expecting her, which was usually the way with her visits. The three of them now sat awkwardly together in the drawing-room. 
Sir Edward was still troubled by the spectre of Clark Brereton and his accumulating debts, but he was sudden or he was doing his best to flatter his rich aunt, who seemed suddenly quite determined to marry him off without delay. That is very good of you, aunt, he was saying, though he hardly knew what he thought. It is intended as an investment, Edward, an investment in your future. Miss Lamb is a prize well worth winning. Esther was doing her best not to portray any emotion. First Miss Brereton, now Miss Lamb. It was really too much. Her hands curled into fists. You will be seated next to her, and you must present yourself as a serious and eligible suitor, Lady Dunham continued, while Sir Edward nodded obediently. You are an English baronet of impeccable family, with the further advantages of a handsome countenance and bearing, and a personable manner. You're very kind, aunt, said Sir Edward mechanically, but she had not finished. I am well aware that you have so far frittered away these advantages and used them in pursuit of petty conquests and the sowing of wild oats. His face fell. No, no, really, you misjudge me. In that moment, Esther, who had been listening in silence, almost despised him. "'I do not,' retorted Lady Denham. "'I trust that you do understand the difference between the arts of courtship and seduction?' Uh, "'Well, uh, I hope I do.' "'You'd better. And if you don't win her hand, I shall be very disappointed in you.' She gave him a steely smile. "'And you don't want to fall out of favour with me, do you?' "'No, aunt,' he said meekly. "'There, you have your work cut out for you. "'No need to look so glum. "'Once you have secured her hand in marriage, "'you can tomcat around to your heart's content.' "'Esther did her best to ignore the last. "'Do you have any instructions for me, ma'am?' "'Lady Denham looked over at her in such surprise "'that Esther suspected her presence had been altogether forgotten. "'Just try to keep a civil tongue in your head "'and put a curb on your smart remarks,' she said curtly. Esther bowed her head so that Lady Denham wouldn't see the resentment simmering in her eyes. I will do my best. Mr. Parker clutched the hair at his temples. Both he and his study were in even more of a disordered state than usual. Piles of bills and correspondence teetered on his desk, while books on design and architecture lay splayed open on the floor. Where is the confounded thing? he shouted, frustration overpowering him. A movement at the door made him look up. Ah, there you are, Charlotte. She took in the confusion of the room. Its elegance and rich furnishings were quite obscured by the mess. I came to see if I could be of any assistance. He was already rifling through the papers again and hardly seemed to hear her. No, no, I'll have it in a moment. What an infernal muddle. Bills, invoices, plans, and memoranda... Charlotte came forward and laid her hand on one of the tallest piles. Let me sort them for you. He finally looked at her properly. Would you? I'd be eternally grateful. I keep meaning to engage an assistant. Perhaps I could be that assistant in return for your hospitality. She smiled and, without waiting for a response, began sifting through documents. You see, if we could separate these papers into piles, income, expenses, rental payments, bills, and so on, Mr. Parker stepped back as she became immediately absorbed in her task, her small hands moving deftly. "'You have an eye for this sort of work. I can see.' The knot of anxiety that seemed to have lodged in his chest lately loosened just a little, 
but enough to allow him a deep restorative breath. As Charlotte lifted a great mess of papers to see what was underneath, she caught sight of something intriguing hidden underneath. It was a scale model of a street, exquisitely rendered. Oh, that's beautiful! Mr. Parker's eyes shone with pride. That will be the new terrace. You approve? Most heartily. Who's the architect? Myself. That is to say, I use Hargreaves' catalogue of plants. Look here. He opened up a huge volume filled with meticulous ground plans and elevations to show her, and felt his usual enthusiasm swell inside him once more. How glad he was that Charlotte Haywood had come to stay. At first, I'd take the designs straight out of the book, he said modestly, but now I have more confidence. I adapt them to my taste. Choose a little of this, a little of that, talk it over with my foreman, and off we go. Pleasing idea struck him. Would you like to see it taking shape? Charlotte was touched by the boy-like shyness of the question. Very much. Excellent. I need to have a word with young Stringer anyway. It took them but a few minutes to reach Waterloo Terrace. The scene was, a fran was frantic with activity, surveyors taking measurements and laborers unloading a new delivery of bricks. Dust tainted the air and the hem of Charlotte's dress was already muddy but she was quite thrilled to see it. The work looked as though it had already progressed in time, in the time she had been at Sanditon. The new buildings now, cheek by jowl, to old Sanditon, which looked forlorn and rather shabby in comparison, as though it knew it was outshone by the clean, confident lines of Mr. Parker's Grand Terrace. He was already deep in conversation with his second-in-command, a local man known to all as Young Stringer, in deference to his father, who was working on the terrace as a stonemason of many years' experience. Charlotte watched the two men as they poured over the plans spread out over a trestle so they might see them better. It surprised her to see that young Stringer was hardly older than herself. Yes, yes, just here, Mr. Parker was saying. Very good, just as I said. What do you think, Miss Haywood? She stepped forward. I think it is a splendid enterprise, sure. And only the best materials, of course, he said, gesturing around them. No timber except red pine and oak? With Welsh slate and Cornish stone for the roofs and frontages, she hazarded, noting with pleasure the admi admiring look this won her from the young foreman. There was such pleasure to be had in surprising people, she thought, particularly men. Mr. Parker was naturally delighted. Oh ho, do you hear that, young Stringer? We have a lady architect amongst us. I have been trying to persuade my father to refurbish his tenants' cottages along modern lines, she said. Am I right in thinking there will have to be a different roof levels? Young Stringer, oh, young Stringer nodded eagerly. I miss different roof levels. And these will, will, she began. Draw the eye down the hill towards the vista of the sea, he finished. Exactly, miss. The two of them smiled warmly at each other. What a pleasant person to be acquainted with, she thought, and a great part of the pleasure of it was knowing he thought the same. Mr. Parker cleared his throat, aware that he had been briefly forgotten. Yes, that was my idea, you know. Was it not? Young Stringer hesitated, for in fact it had been his notion, but then remembering his place he gave a nod. Indeed it was, sir. But Mr. Parker's attention had already been diverted. Ah, he cried. Here's my brother and his friends. Charlotte spun around, hoping it would be Arthur rather than Sydney, 
but of course it was the latter, flanked as he had been at the ball by Lord Babington and Mr. Crow. Immediately, and to her great annoyance, all the morning's ease and amiability melted away so that she no longer knew how to stand or arrange her face. I just came to have a last look before we leave for London, Tom, said Sidney. He gave her a cool glance. Miss Haywood. Mr. Parker's mood instantly plummeted. But we counted on your staying at least until the end of the week. Lady Denham's luncheon party has no need of my presence, finished Sidney. I need you here, said his brother in a pleading tone, and your friends have not seen nearly enough to appreciate the town's delights. Sidney sighed, and Charlotte couldn't tell whether he was guilty or simply disobliging. We have made plans, Tom, and Sanditon's delights don't quite measure up to London's, do they, gentlemen? Behind him, Mr. Crow chuckled. Mr. Parker took his brother by the arm and led him a little way out of earshot. You were to persuade your friends to take houses for the season. Sidney shrugged. And what about your young ward? She will soon settle. I have a life, Tom, with many obligations you know nothing of. You cannot expect me to, to be always at your disposal. Mr. Parker looked suddenly desperate. A couple of days, man. Sidney considered and then let out a long sigh. Very well. A couple of days. I'll talk them round. His elder brother, all smiles again, clapped him on the shoulder. Relief had flooded his face. Mr. Parker, young Stringer needed his attention for the plans again. Lord Babington and Mr. Crow, having wandered off to see the building work at closer quarters, Charlotte found herself alone with Sidney. She took a determined breath. Mr. Parker, may I have a word? His face remained closed and hostile, but she forced herself to press on. Our conversation at the party. I expressed myself badly, and I fear you misunderstood me. I didn't mean to disparage your brother, or to offend you. Indeed, I have the greatest admiration for what you and he are doing here at Sanditon. She swallowed and tried to slow her words, which were brushing out of her. You were right to rebuke me, and indeed I am sorry. I hope you won't think too badly of me. Sidney looked down at her, and his mouth curled into its sardonic sneer again. It made her quail. Think badly of you? I don't think of you at all, Miss Haywood. I'm not interested in your approval or disapproval. Quite simply, I do not care what you think or how you feel. I am sorry if that disappoints you, but there it is. Have I made myself clear? For a moment, it was as though she was back in the assembly rooms, and she feared she would burst into humiliating tears. Fortunately, anger came to her rescue, allowing her to hold her emotion in check. Well, said Sidney, I sense that you have more to say. Only, she lifted her chin and looked him square in the eye, only that if you really don't care, I wonder that you, took, you take the trouble to be quite so offensive and hurtful. Good day. And with that, she turned and walked away, the emotion she had managed to contain now threatening to overcome her. She hoped fervently that he would not see how much she trembled. In fact, though he could not see her quiver from the distance she had put between them, he could certainly see from the rigid set of her narrow shoulders that he had wounded her. To his confusion, he found himself flooded with shame. He hesitated, torn between going after her and dismissing the idea of the vexing Miss Haywood altogether, when Mr. Crow called him over, making the decision for him. 
Chapter 9 Sir Edward and his sister were idling away the afternoon in Denham's, in Denham Place's gloomy, gothic-like drawing-room, where the candles had already been lit, though it was not past two. Esther was dishabille, her long hair loose while her brother sat behind her, combing it out. "'I don't see why I'm the one to be put out to market,' Esther Edward was saying bitterly. "'I'm sure she's perfectly hateful.' Esther couldn't resist the sarcasm that she was always reverted to in moments of jealousy. "'You've never been reluctant to charm the ladies, Edward. More's the pity.' Edward took no notice. Something outside had caught his eye, and he stood to see better. "'I say!' "'What?' "'Someone's coming.' "'That's one of those fellows Sidney Parker brought from London.' "'Esther stood. "'Oh, yes,' she said wearily, "'recognizing the dark-haired gentleman "'who had paid her so much attention at the ball. "'A Babington. I thought he might come sniffing around.' "'Some minutes later, Ed Esther, now dressed respectably, "'she joined Sir Edward and Babington "'in Denham Place's unkempt garden.' "'I was just passing, you know, and I thought I might call upon you,' Babington began as she sat down. Without his companions, and a good quantity of wine, he seemed less sure of himself than he had the previous night. "'It did you,' she replied flatly. "'You're looking uncommonly well, if I may say so.' She inclined her head as though it was a great effort. "'You may.' Sir Edward, who had taken up a book as though he meant to have no part in the conversation, smirked to himself. Babington didn't notice. He was too intrigued and indeed stimulated by Esther's implacable aloofness. Manfully, he cried again, "'Your hair, if I might be so bold, has such a glossy sheen to it.' Esther stretched like a bored cat and threw her brother a glance. "'There you see, Edward.' Your efforts were not in vain. Babington leant forward in his chair, stirred anew. Your brother attends to your hair? Stepbrother, his father married my mother when we were young. A small smile curled her lip. And yes, he does. Babington had flushed. That is a commission I should happily undertake. Esther laughed. <laughs> "'Not a chance, Lord Babington.' "'He was not accustomed to women treating him with such disdain. "'It was thrilling. "'Shall I have the pleasure of seeing you at Lady Denham's luncheon party?' "'I suppose so.' "'She stifled a yawn, and Babington realized his small stock of conversation was exhausted. "'Well, uh, till tomorrow, then.' "'He got to his feet and ran his eye hungrily over her until she met his gaze. "'I shan't be put off, you know.' he said. When he'd taken his leave, Esther, despite her performance of indifference, felt rather gratified. She turned triumphantly to her brother. Oh, has he gone? Edward looked about him. Esther scowled. How I hate your sex! In a lodging house across town, Mrs. Griffiths was having an excessively trying morning. Her heiress charge had locked herself in her bedroom and refused to come out, despite all appeals to reason. She was quite the most rebellious girl Mrs. Griffiths had ever had the misfortune to take responsibility for. 
Eventually, she had been forced to send the maid to fetch Miss Lamb's guardian to see if he could persuade her out. Rather shockingly, he had been found in the bar of the Crown Hotel, where he'd been in the middle of a boxing match against a local champion by the name of Joey. This didn't seem at all gentlemanly to Mrs. Griffiths, and she thought it might be a topic she could discuss at length with Mr. Hankins one day soon. Still, she was grateful that Mr. Parker had at least managed to gain admission to Miss Lamb's room, where he was at that moment remonstrating her. Mrs. Griffiths, for whom discretion was an overrated virtue, hovered in the doorway. "'I am not your slave!' Mrs. Lamb declared, Miss Lamb declared, jaw set stubbornly. Her maid Crockett, who was supposedly dressing her hair, was listening quite as vividly, avidly as Mrs. Griffiths, her eyes as round as saucers. "'Nobody said you were,' said Sidney, as gently as he could. "'Georgiana, you have to attend. You are Lady Dunham's guest of honor. Miss Lamb's eyes flashed. She was caught between tears and anger. "'To be gawped at and served up for the general amusement? "'To be sneered at and laughed at? A public spectacle? "'Here we have a pineapple, and here we have the negress. "'Feast your eyes!' She slammed her hand down on the dressing table. Georgiana. He waited till she looked back at him. You know you are worth more than Lady Dunham and all her circle put together. Oh, yes, the air is from the West Indies, rich and black as treacle. Hold her upside down and shake her. Hear the sovereigns jingle, a hundred thousand of them. Sidney massaged, massaged his brow. He was running out of patience, something he never had much of in the best circumstances. Stop talking that nonsense he said sharply. This is what your father wanted, for you to take your place in polite society. What about what I want? I'm afraid that what you want is neither here nor there. She turned to stare angrily out the window, where heavy clouds had turned the sky sullen and overcast. If you only knew how much I hate this miserable, chilly island. I can do nothing about the climate, but for the rest, trust me, Georgiana, all this is for your good. He stood to leave her. So you say, she said defiantly, though in truth her fit of temper had burnt itself out, leaving behind something much bleaker. Chapter 10 The respectable folk of Sanditon were making their various ways to Lady Dunham's house, summoned as they had been for her surprise luncheon party. It had not even occurred to most of them to refuse, for unpopularity was no match for wealth and power. Arthur and Diana Parker had set off in good time, mindful as ever of their delicate health. Still, no amount of preparation made the steep incline out of the town towards Sanditon House any less perilous. They clung to each other in order to offer the other support, both literally and inwardly, but the going was still proving intolerably hard. "'Humped father can it be?' puffed Arthur, stopping to mop his brow with an already sopping handkerchief. Really, sister, my constitution isn't up to this. I hope there is a physician standing by at Santerton House to revive me. Diana, paler but more stoic than her sibling, turned back to him. Courage, Arthur, think of the pineapple. If I could manage, so can you. With a groan, Arthur moved off again. Do you know the fellows with the sedan chairs refused to carry me? They said I was over the weight limit. Infernal insolence. As you know, I'm practically wasting away. Good God, who's this? 
A rattling din behind them was growing louder. As they turned to stare, a cloud of dirt approaching at speed revealed itself to be two light curricles. With no thought of vulnerable pedestrians, their drivers appeared to be racing each other. "'I say, I say!' cried Arthur as he recognized Babington at the helm of one and his brother Sidney at the other. "'Could you?' "'Sorry, Arthur,' shouted Sidney as the carriages flew past them in a great confusion of noise and dust. "'Can't stop.' "'Well,' said Arthur, all hopes for ride vanishing as swiftly as the speeding curricles. "'Not very brotherly.' Ahead of them, already through the park and in sight of Lady Dunham's front door, was Arthur's old other brother, Mr. Tom Parker, accompanied by his wife and Charlotte. The latter felt her nerves worsening with every step. Her last social outing among Sanditon's finest had made her considerably warier of company.' I swear the house has grown in size since I was last here, she said quietly as they crossed the threshold and once more entered the lofty hallway. There, They had not been there upwards of a minute when Clara Brereton came to stand next to Charlotte, pale hair glinting against the decadent backdrop of Lady Dunham's drawing room. I'm so glad to see you, Charlotte, she said conspiratorially, leaning in so that one of her curls brushed Charlotte's cheek. I beg you, stay close. We shan't let him come near us. Charlotte was baffled. Who? Clara widened her china blue eyes. That beast, of course, Sir Edward Denham. On the other side of the room, Mr. Parker was claiming in, exclaiming in jocular tones, Excellent, excellent, though his wife could see that behind the smile his face was rather tired and strained. This is very good of you, Lady Denham. Very generous and hospitable, to be sure. <laughs> she was far too irritated to acknowledge him properly. Here we all are, waiting for the guest of honor to deign to make an appearance. I'm sure it's no fault of hers, Lady Denham, said Mrs. Parker. You're looking uncommonly well today. She received nothing more than a scornfully raised eyebrow for this pleasantry. No need to butter me up. And Miss Brereton, too, continued Miss Parker doggedly. What a pretty dress. Clara missed this. She was too busy watching Sir Edward as he smiled and bowed a path through the assembled guests. There he is, she murmured to Charlotte. The sight of him repels me. She shuddered ostentatiously. Take heart, said Charlotte. You are among friends. Nothing bad can happen to you today. If you have experienced what I did, you would understand, Charlotte, she said tremulously. I feel violated by his very presence. It was at this moment that his sister Esther chose to join them. Miss Haywood, I do hope Miss Brereton is keeping you entertained. Clara, eyes narrowing, opened her mouth to retort, but Lady Denham was beckoning her over. When she'd left them, Esther moved a little closer to Charlotte. I would take no heed of her words, Miss Haywood. Her imagination quite outstrips the truth. Charlotte was at a loss. She had never known such complicated, confounding people. Babington had arrived and now came over to greet them. Miss Haywood, Miss Denham, both of you look uncommonly well, if I may say so. Thank you, sir, said Charlotte cordially. Esther ignored him, speaking only to Charlotte. 
these events are so wearisome, aren't they? Charlotte stifled a laugh at the sight of Babington's face. I don't think so at all, but then we see so little society in Willingdon. The next guests to enter were not walking, but staggering, <laughs> as exhausted as if their journey had taken not minutes, but days. Mr. Arthur Parker and Miss Diana Parker, announced the footman. Wine, moaned Arthur, wine. <laughs> he was blotched and scarlet in the face as Sidney helped him to a seat, but seemed to rally almost immediately as a full glass of claret was pressed into his hand. Diana collapsed into another chair and drew out her fan. I really thought I was about to expire, she said. And poor Arthur, he has such a delicate constitution, you know. But when duty calls... You'd think they'd walked from Inverness, Lady Denham's strident tones rang through the room. Ah, better, said Arthur once his glass was drained. I think another tiny glass... A new one was handed to him and also swiftly dispatched. Thank you, thank you, he said, wiping his mouth and letting his head loll back. I think I shall pull through. Lady, Denham's eye Lady Denham eyed him with contempt. What a buffoon that young man is. Mr. and Mrs. Parker exchanged an anxious glance. Lady D was growing ever more irritable. Fortunately, the footman appeared once again and finally announced the arrival of the guest of honor and her companions. Mrs. Griffiths, the Mrs. Beaufort, and Miss Lamb. In they came, and it was hard to tell who was more a flutter, Mrs. Griffiths or the Beaufort sisters. Miss Lamb, by contrast, looked to be in high dudgeon still, her mouth a sulky moo. I don't know how to pronounce that. M-O-U-E. Edward! hissed Lady Denham in the direction of her nephew. There's your quarry. Hunt her down. <laughs> when he didn't immediately act, she prodded, in a hot, prodded him hard, sending him scurrying toward Mrs. L Miss Lamb. Good day, good day, Mrs. Griffiths twittered, coming forward to greet her hostess. So sorry to be late, Lady Denham, but better late than never. Her smile died away as she absorbed her hostess's expression. Slightly better. Lady Denham said repressively. Miss Lamb, finally, shall we go through to the dining room? Lord Babington. She offered him her arm, and though he had hoped to escort Esther, it was not a request. Sir Edward bowed to Miss Lamb. May I have the pleasure? She took his arm with bad grace, and they followed Lady Denham into the dining room. Behind them, Esther fell in step, into step with Clara. You can stop playing the injured innocent, she said, the words sharp as needles. My brother told me exactly what happened the other day. Lady Denham would be surprised to hear about your little whore's tricks. Where did you learn them, I wonder? Clara turned to her with a brittle little smile. From a man even more depraved than your butter, brother, when I was too young to know a prick from a pencil, you and I should not be enemies, Miss Denham. Esther snorted to cover her shock. How can we be otherwise when we are competing for the same thing? Money? What else? But her gaze had fallen on Edward just ahead of her, his head inclined towards Mrs. Lamb, Miss Lamb's. She wouldn't have admitted it to anyone, least of all the nemesis at her side, but this battle had never been entirely about money. Not for her. 
The company, now gathered in Lady Dunham's dining room, waited with great anticipation. In the middle of the polished table, which ran the length of the enormous room, a magnificent object had been displayed to full advantage. "'Oh, a pineapple!' cried someone. "'How splendid!' Charlotte had never seen such a thing before, and wondered how they might eat it, given that it seemed to be nothing but scales and spikes. When the exclamations of delight had died down, Lady Denham turned to her reluctant guest of honor. "'I thought it might remind you of home, Miss Lamb. Antigua, was it not of some such place?' There was a pause while Miss Lamb eyed the fruit. "'That ain't no Antigua Black,' she said, not in her usual voice, but a broad patois. "'I think you've been sold a pup, Lady Denham. Somebody done took you for a fool.' Everybody, everyone in the room, which had fallen profoundly silent, turned as one to look at Lady Denham. Charlotte watched in horrified fascination as the old lady's face turned puce, her eyes even more protuberant than usual. A full-blown a full-blown apoplexy was surely next. Of course I know this particular fruit was not grown in Antigua, she said eventually having narrowly mastered herself. It was cultivated specific, especially under glass here in England, and it is here, in your honor, as a mark of respect to your, for your heritage. Do you understand that? Georgiana, said Sidney in a warning tone. Of course I do, replied Miss Lamb, but then she reverted to the patois again. I was just pulling your leg, but it ain't no Antigua Black all the same. "'That's enough, Georgiana,' said Sidney. "'You've made your point.' "'But from the other side of the room, laughter could be heard. "'It was Arthur Parker, who seemed quite immune to the glares issuing in his direction "'from both his brothers and their hostess. "'Ha ha, jolly good!' he shook his head in amused admiration. "'Well done, Miss Lamb!' "'Please take your seats,' said Lady Dunham, her face set with fury. "'Sir Edward!' He went forward to pull out Miss Lamb's chair. Thank you, said she, demure once more, and took her place. What a great, very great pleasure it is to be placed next to you, Miss Lamb, began Sir Edward, mindful of his aunt's instruction to charm her. Is it? she said coolly. Why? Well, you know, your beauty, your fascinating background. And my money? I imagine that's what you're after. No, 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 he stammered, rather at a loss in the face of such plain speaking. No, indeed. Uh, how do you like Sanditon? Miss Lamb rolled her eyes. Oh, for God's sake, is that the best you can do? He swallowed and found that his mind had gone completely blank. Miss um. Lamb waited, brown eyes mocking. Um, who is your favorite poet? He blushed for himself, and as he, she turned away in disgust, he saw the same look reflected in the face of his aunt. Only Esther regarded him with anything less than total contempt. A few places along, Charlotte had found herself unhappily seated next to Sidney Parker. "'So, Miss Haywood,' he said, "'any observations on the assembled company?' "'As you have no interest in my opinion, I shan't trouble you with it, Mr. Parker,' she said with dignity." but I'm sure you have one. Come, share it with me. She put her glass down. Not for the world, 
I've endured two tongue lashings from you, and I won't court a third. Save your unpleasantness for someone else, or better still, why not try to be civil? To her astonishment, he looked almost chastened. Was it? Perhaps I shall. But she wasn't going to give in that easily. But not with me, pray, she said, and, prompted, and promptly turned to Mr. Crow, who was on her other side. Mr. Crow, how do you rate Sanditon's chances of succeeding? He raised his eyebrows. Pretty slim at present, ma'am. Can't hold a candle to brighten or bath. There's not enough here to tempt a man. Or a lady. At this, he gave her a flirtatious smile, which she ignored. Of fashion. But it has the capability of becoming as popular as those, has it not? Are you telling me there's some pleasure to be had that I've been overlooking, though it's right under my nose? Now I'm interested. He leant in so close that Charlotte was obliged to move her chair towards Sydney. Mr. Crow, you deliberately misunderstand me. He gave her a wink. Rest easy, Miss Haywood. I'm only teasing you. At the top of the table, Mr. Parker was trying to elevate the spirits of his hostess and business partner after the unfortunate exchange with the wayward Miss Lamb. I hope you will have a physician for you very soon, Lady Dunham, he said. His wife sighed inwardly, knowing that such a topic would only vex her more. So you keep saying... Lady Dunham said impatiently. And what, pray, should we do with a doctor? It would only be encouraging our servants and the poor to fancy themselves ill if there was a doctor to hand. Her shawl slipped to the floor, was, but was almost instantly caught up by Clara Brereton, who placed it carefully around her aunt's shoulders with a sweet smile, though it turned rather astringent when she caught Esther Dunham's revolted expression. Thank you, my dear, said Lady Dunham. She was still thinking about the physician. We get on very well as we are. There is the sea and the downs and the milk for my asses. We want the right kind of guests, Mr. Parker. I hope you have not forgotten. Well, Arthur and I would be able to consider stay, wouldn't be able to consider staying long in any place unless we were under a reputable physician, offered Diana Parker gravely. Arthur nodded as he speared an enormous piece of meat with his fork and regarded it with pleasure. First-class medical care is what, I will, is what will distinguish the fashionable resort of the future from the second-rate. I rather agree with Lady Dunham, put in Sir Edward, who had, no, who had had no further luck with Miss Lamb. You would agree with anyone, Sir Edward, so long as it furthered your ambitions, said Lady Dunham, casting him down again. If only your actions matched your words, she raised her voice. Miss Lamb, what are your views on matrimony? An heiress with a hundred thousand must be in want of a husband, I think. But Miss Lamb was not to be cowed. I don't care to be any man's property, Lady Dunham. Ho! Oh, the old lady's color was rising again. Hoity-toity! I should have thought someone like you would be quite used to being a man's property. Was not your mother a slave? Sidney briefly closed his eyes. She was, said Miss Lamb, without faltering. But being used to a thing and liking it are not the same thing, my lady. I am beginning to think you are very opinionated, Miss Lamb. What do you think, Miss Haywood? Charlotte spoke up bravely. I know that young ladies are not expected to have opinions, Lady Dunham, but I think Miss Lamb is quite right to value her independence, just as you did yours. 
Don't you agree, Mr. Parker? Sidney threw up his hands and shook his head, clearly unwilling to join the fray. No answer from Mr. Sidney, cried Lady Denham. And you, miss? She trained her gimlet eye back on Charlotte. Are you keeping up your pretense that you're not in Sanditon in search of a wealthy man to marry and keep you? Indeed I am not, ma'am. I have no thoughts of marriage at all. And if I were to choose a husband, wealth would not come into it. Poppycock! Should not a good marriage be based on mutual love and affection? Without affection, marriage become a kind of slavery, I believe. Lady Denham scoffed. Or an escape from it. Miss Lamb's mother would be a case in point, eh? A pretty negress catches the eye and casts her spell on him. That's all the that's the way the world works. All other conversation had by this point halted. The shocked silence made Lady Denham's words seem to ring off the crystal, though she herself didn't notice. Ain't it, Miss Lamb? she continued. And now here you are with your hundred thousand, a rich prize for any young fellow with a title and a leaky roof. So what do you say to Sir Edward? Would not you and he make a pretty match? Sir Edward was mortified. Really, aunt? Well, you seem incapable of furthering your interests yourself. What about it, Miss Lamb? We ain't suited, Lady Denham. Good for you, said Arthur loudly, between mouthfuls, picking his moment once more. Well said, Miss Lamb. We ain't suited. Very good. He stood and reached for the pineapple. And may I cut you a slice? Miss Lamb inclined her head. If you like. Mr. Parker, Lady Denham thundered at the same time, the pineapple is not yours to cut. But it was too late. He had already sliced it down the middle. He grimaced as he pulled it apart. What's the matter? she demanded. He held the two halves up to her. It's rotten, Lady Denham, rotten to the core. The mood of the room quite as spoiled as the pineapple. It was not long after that that the guests began to take their leave. Clara stood next to Lady Denham on the threshold as, one by one, the company made off in the direction of Sanditon. "'Well, at least you did not disgrace yourself,' Lady Denham said. "'Go inside. There's a good girl.' She caught sight of the eldest Parker brother and hailed him. "'Mr. Parker, I want a word with you.' All three brothers turned. No, not you, Mr. Tom Parker. The rest of you can clear off. He turned with trepidation and followed her back inside of the house. She started in on him immediately. I am affronted, Mr. Parker, affronted. Did you mark that insolent girl? Mr. Parker spread his hands diplomatically. You were pressing her rather hard. I think she may have felt offended by some of your remarks. Am I not permitted to speak my own mind in my own house? And that other girl, Miss Haywood, your guest, Mr. Parker, altogether too outspoken. And as for that boorish brother of yours, stirring them up, encouraging them, and then he had the effrontery to handle my pineapple. I'm afraid I can't be responsible for my brother's behavior, Lady Denham, he smiled apologetically. Arthur's his own man. He is what he is. Lady Denham drew herself up. Well, think on this. I am my own woman, and I have a good mind to withdraw my investment from the Sanditon Venture. The terrace, the new assembly room, everything. What do you say to that? Mr. Parker paled, which was precisely the effect she had intended. I beg you not to consider that, he said, imploringly. Without your contribution, we would be in dire straits. 
Well, I am very displeased, very displeased indeed. And with that, she left him alone in the hall to see himself out. His walk back down to Trafalgar House passed in an anxious blur. Once inside, he hovered despondently in the hall until Mrs. Parker led him into the drawing room, where Charlotte was already sitting and entreated him to join her. He took, shook his head, too fretful to rest. She knows Sanditon is a good investment, Tom, Mrs. Parker tried next. She wouldn't withdraw her money out of spite. She's too canny for that. Oh, you don't know her, my dear. She hates to be crossed. He paced to the window. Charlotte, increasingly worried, now stood. I feel it is my fault, at least in part. I felt I had to defend Miss Lamb, and no one else was ready to speak for her, except your brother, Arthur. Lady D is very angry with him as well, said Mr. Parker. Not so much for anything he said, but for the... His mouth twisted, and for a terrible moment Charlotte thought he would weep, but then he burst out in hysterical laughter. For the disrespectful manner in which he handled her pineapple, he managed to say before collapsing into mirth again. Charlotte and Mrs. Parker looked at each other, quite astonished, and then as his hilarity infected them, began to laugh themselves. When Mr. Parker had recovered himself, he shook his head and finally sat down heavily. He looked more tired than ever. She's an appalling old woman, but she holds the fate of Sandton in her hands. That's the problem. Charlotte made a decision. I couldn't forgive myself if I put your great project in danger. I will go and beg her pardon. Really, Charlotte, said Mr. Parker, there's no need. Mrs. Parker got up and took her hands. My dear Charlotte, there is nothing. I don't mind she interrupted, quite determined. And in any case, I should have learned by now that when certain people ask my opinion, I should tell them what they want to hear or say nothing at all. I will go tomorrow morning. It will be a useful exercise in humility for me. And the next morning she did go and humbly begged Lady Denham's pardon. Hum, the old lady said grudgingly. Mr. Tom Parker made you come, no doubt. No, indeed, ma'am. I came of my own free will. Really? You expect me to believe you? Charlotte took a calming breath. Whether you do or do not, it is the truth, ma'am. Ha! You can't help it, can you? Help what? Speaking your mind, standing up for yourself, even when, you're, when, even when you're trying to be ever so humble and penitent. What's to be done with you? I'm very, I am truly very sorry if I offended you, Lady Denham. Ha! But her eyes were sparkling now. You don't offend me. You amuse me. I like to tease and provoke. I expect you think I was too hard on that young woman yesterday. But she gave us as good as she got, did she not? Come on, Miss Haywood, answer me. I do think you were very impolite to Miss Lamb. Lady Denham tutted extravagantly. But I gave a luncheon in her honor. You made a spectacle of her, said Charlotte quietly, but with admirable firmness. You didn't consider... You didn't consider what her feelings might be. Far from home, among strangers, it was unkind of you. She's a hundred thousand to comfort her. I only speak the simple truth. She stopped, caught the reproof in Charlotte's expression. What? You insisted on hearing my honest opinions, ma'am. Lady Denham relented. So I did. And if I don't like it, there's n that's no one's fault but my own, you imply. All right, off you go. You got what you came for. You can tell Mr. Parker that he has nothing to fear from me. For now. 
Charlotte smiled and dipped a quick, cur a quick curtsy before hurrying from the room, fearful that if she did not, Lady Dunham would change her mind again. Chapter 11 Outside the coach house in Sanditon, a line of passengers had just clambered up into the carriage that waited there, the horses already hitched and impatient to be underway. The last person to board was clutching a small traveling bag tightly. It was Miss Lamb, and she had already drawn more than a few curious looks from the people round and about. "'If you please,' she asked the coachman, hopefully, "'is this the coach for London?' He cast his eye over hers. "'It is, miss.' "'Then may I board it now?' "'Indeed you may, miss, for six shillings.' He stuck his head into the carriage interior. "'No one here got any objections?' An old lady poked her head out and gave Miss Lamb an appraising look. "'She looks clean enough and tidy enough. Let her come.' The coachman turned back to her. Six shillings, then, miss.' But Miss Lamb's face had fallen. "'I I have no money on my person. I'm not in the habit of carrying it.' The coachman sniffed. "'Then you won't be getting on the coach, miss. Did you hear that?' he said to the other passengers, who, sensing some potential unpleasantness, had begun to lean towards the open door. "'Not in the habit.' "'What's the fuss about?' said someone. "'Her there,' came the indignant reply from the coachman. "'She wants a ride, but she won't pay the fare.' "'Go on,' he addressed Miss Lamb. He was enjoying himself now. "'Off you trot, miss.' "'Please,' she cried. She was beginning to feel rather faint. "'My banker in London will make sure you are paid.' Oh ho, a banker in London, is it? Now I've heard everything. Do you not know who I am? She regretted the words as soon as they were out. He had been amused. Now he regarded her coldly. No, I don't. Who are you? She soldered, soldiered on. I am Miss Lamb. I am an heiress. I have a hundred thousand pounds. He smiled nastily. Six shillings will do, miss. Don't you understand? I have to get to London. Let me pass. Suddenly desperate, she tried to board, but he moved to block her path, close enough that she could smell the sourness of old tobacco and spirits on his breath. Now, now, he cried. None of that. Go on. Be off with you. Look at her. Someone else was suddenly behind her and jostling her, even as another person reached out a hand to touch her hair. Dizzy with fear and humiliation, she pushed through them and broke into a run. Just across the road, oblivious to Miss Lamb's predicament, in a snug corner of the Crown Hotel's rather disreputable, disreputable bar, her guardian and his friends were contentedly drinking away the afternoon. "'How is your pursuit of Miss Denham progressing, Babington?' said Mr. Crow as he lifted the jug and poured himself another glass, spilling a little as he did. "'Very well,' he replied. "'She professes she wants nothing to do with me. "'She is deliciously disdainful.' "'Crow grinned and slapped his hand against the table. "'Saucy bitch! And you appear of the realm?' "'Babington shook his head admiringly. "'I love it. "'So how long before you bring her to heel?' "'Bring her to heel? She's not a dog, Crow. She's a young lady.' But she needs to be mastered. Mind you, I like a bit of spirit in a girl. He licked his lips. 
that little Miss Haywood now. She's got a bit of spunk in her. <laughs> spunk. Sydney snorted. <laughs> or Miss Lamb, then. The way she stood up to that old witch yesterday. You could tell she'd be a lively handful in bed. Sydney's countenance darkened. Uh, don't even think about it, Crow. No need to take that tone. I was only saying. She's off limits. All right, man. Understood. I mean it. Crow raised his hands in mock surrender. Uh, but if a fellow might ask without getting his head bit off, what is your history with her? I'm simply her guardian. Not a job I wanted, but I'm finding it damned irksome. The girl misses her homeland, hates the climate here, and doesn't care for being treated as a curiosity. And she doesn't care for you? asked Babington. Pretty much takes exception to everything I say or do. She's safer here than in London, though. Anything can happen there. Anything can happen anywhere, said Crow philosophically. Sidney sighed. True. He looked down at the table, apparently exhausted at the thought. Let's have another bottle, said Crow, and snapped his fingers at one of the landlord's, landlord's comely daughters. At Denham Place, Esther was still stewing over the previous day's luncheon party. She had been unable to settle at anything all day. It's all right, Esther, Edward tried in a placating voice. I never would have gone through with Miss Lamb, even if she liked me. A fellow has to draw the line somewhere. But Esther was not thinking about the heiress. Her brother could be remarkably dull-witted sometimes. We have to dislodge that interloper, Miss Brereton, she said as she paced to the window. She will insist on getting in the way. That business with the shawl yesterday, I wanted to bite her. Edward smiled lasciviously. That is something I should like to see. Two women fighting over you? She shook her head in frustration. I just wish this would end. I preferred it when there was only us. The last words almost choked her. Edward went to her then and cupped her face in his hands. Believe me, so did I. And I promise as soon as we have the money, it will be. She gave him a long, questioning look and then seemed to relent, allowing him to embrace her. After her visit to beg forgiveness from the odious Lady Denham, Charlotte had returned to Trafalgar House, quite worn out and a little despondent. She decided that writing a letter to her sister might comfort her. She had particularly missed the easy comfort of her family since the ball. My dearest Allison, I wish you were here so that we could compare impressions. I love the place itself, but the people here are so strange and contrary. Mr. and Mrs. Parker, whom you've met, of course, are delightful and very kind. Mr. Tom is a wild enthusiast for his Sanditon, and seems full of confidence. But when no one is there, I have seen him frown and bite his lip, and I fear all is not well with his schemes. His brother Sidney is a complete conundrum. Nothing I say seems to strike him right. Oh, Allison, yesterday was all made up of mistakes and upsets. I feel that every time I open my mouth I say the wrong thing. I have made a resolution to listen more and say less in future, but in truth I do feel far from home. She broke off. Writing the letter had made her feel a touch easier, but perhaps a little exercise would dispel the rest of her bad mood. She would take a walk on the cliffs. The wind had strengthened by the time she got up above the town, 
nothing around her but the coarse grass that flanked the path with the sea below, and she had the pleasant sensation of her worries, like cobwebs, being blown clean away from her. She was so satisfied with this notion that she almost missed the small figure hovering at the, edge, at the cliff edge. With a start, she realized it was Miss Lamb and cried out in fright as a gust of wind blew hard at the other girl's skirts, threatening to carry her right over the edge. "'Miss Lamb!' she shouted into the wind as she approached. "'Do you remember me, Charlotte Haywood? We met at Lady Dunham's?' Miss Lamb turned her face uh, Miss Lamb turned, but her face was blank and distraught. She was shivering violently. "'Oh, what is it?' said Charlotte, reaching out for her, just as Miss Lamb staggered and collapsed into her arms. "'What is the matter?' After some minutes, Miss Lamb was able to stand with Charlotte's help. She led the girl away from the edge to safety. Eventually, Miss Lamb was composed enough to speak. "'I, I, I think I was half out of my wits.' she said tremulously. It was as if something was pulling me towards the edge. I thought of stepping off, dashing myself to pieces on the rocks below. Charlotte gasped in horror. <gasps> Miss Lamb didn't appear to hear her. I suppose no one would care if I did. Don't say that, she hesitated, and then laid her hand on Miss Lamb's. I think it must be very difficult for you. I feel something of it myself. I'm a stranger here, too. But people don't look at you the way they look at me. No, but people do wish you well. Mr. Arthur Parker, he's a funny man, Charlotte smiled. But very good-hearted, I think, and his brother Sidney is your guardian, isn't he? Miss Lamb sighed. He doesn't relish that role, and nor do I. I'm sure he regards me as an infernal nuisance. If it's any consolation, I find him very impolite and cold, too. After a pause, Miss Lamb met her eye properly for the first time. Do you think me very spoilt and sulky? Charlotte smiled again. Not at all. After what you had to endure at Lady Dunham's. She's a horrid old woman. She can be, but I think she means no real harm. I wanted to stuff her rotten pineapple down her throat. They looked at each other and then burst out laughing. <laughs> we can survive this, Miss Lamb said Charlotte, and patted her hand once again. Please, call me Georgiana. Charlotte. They smiled and then continued on their way, both of them feeling rather less lonely than they had only minutes before. Back in the hotel bar, at least two of the three gentlemen were now very much in their cups. Babington was drinking with great concentration, while Crow had, been sing had begun singing, addressing his song towards the landlord's simpering daughters. When the heart of a man is oppressed with cares, the mist is dispelled when a woman appears. With a smile, Babington and Sidney joined in for the second verse. Like the notes of a fiddle, she sweetly, sweetly raises the spirits and charms our ears. Mr. Tom Parker chose this moment to enter the bar. Sidney and Crow, on seeing him, stopped singing. Ah, the great projector himself, announced Crow, his voice slurring. Babington, noticing nothing, continued singing. Like the notes of a fiddle, she sweetly, sweetly. Ah, Mr. Parker. Tom nodded at them. If I might have a word with you, Sidney. Of course, join us. Have a drink. 
His brother gave him a look. In private. Sydney sighed, if you must. We'll join the young ladies over there, declared Crow, getting to his feet and pulling Babington to his. When the brothers were alone, Sydney irritably turned to Tom. Well, what is it? I am anxious to know what progress you have made. You know I depend on you. And when I see you doing nothing but carouse, Sidney put a heavy hand on his arm. Easy, brother. Men like Babington and Crow can't be bullied into staying. They have to be jollied into it. Mr. Parker ran an unsteady hand through his hair. Sidney, I am beset with worries. The workmen need paying. Lady Denham is threatening to withdraw her investment. I am at my wit's end. She has it in her power to ruin me. Will you... All right, enough. Sidney picked up his glass and drained it. I wonder why it is always my responsibility to pull you out of the fire. I've done the same for you, and you know. Sidney paused, laid his glass down with great deliberation, as though if he didn't, he might just throw it across the room. You'll have to trust me, Tom. He spoke with no less care. The promotion of Sanderton is a delicate business, and I'm not sure you understand it. I am truly doing my best for you. That's all I ask, Tom said. I'm sorry to have interrupted your pleasure. Work, said Sidney icily. Work. This is how I work. Well, if you say so. Good afternoon. When he'd gone, Sidney stood up wearily and went over to join the others at the bar. Crow turned to him with a leering smile. We've decided to take a little siesta in our rooms upstairs. Molly and Virginia here, aptly named, guffawed Babington, have considered to keep us company. Join us? Ah, no, said Sidney. If you'll excuse me, I think I need fresh air and bracing exercise. Enjoy your rest. He turned to go. One can exercise indoors, you know, Crow called after him to appreciate Tiv laughter from Babington. Sidney didn't have the wherewithal to turn and simply raised his hand as he headed out into the blustery afternoon. If his brother didn't couldn't comprehend that this was work, then he was an ungrateful fool. Not yet ready to return home, Charlotte and Miss Lamb descended the path to the beach, their hair and ribbons flying as they laughed together. Ahead of them, Charlotte spied her friend young Stringer. Beside of him, as well as the presence of Georgiana behind her, made the last of her earlier loneliness dissipate into the breeze. "'Good afternoon, Miss Haywood,' he called when he was close enough. "'It is, Mr. Stringer, it is.' They smiled at each other as they passed, and though she was too modest to look, she was certain he had turned so he might watch her until she was out of sight. If only Mr. Sidney Parker could be so obliging. When they reached the water's edge, Charlotte kicked off her shoes. I'm going to paddle. Will you join me? Miss Lamb frowned. I'd freeze. No, you won't. She pulled off her stockings and let them fall to the sand. Come on, I dare you. Miss Lamb watched as Charlotte gathered up her skirts and walked bravely into the water until her ankles were submerged. Come on, she cried over her shoulder. It's fine. Her companion hesitated and then, in a great rush, tore off her own shoes and stockings and strode into the water, whereupon she screamed, You beast! It's freezing! 
she kicked out with her foot and sent an arc of icy water toward Charlotte, who did the same before running off along the beach, laughing and shrieking. They were so intent on their fun that they didn't notice Mrs. Griffith's approach until she was almost upon them, bringing up the rear were the ogling Beaufort sisters. "'Miss Lamb! Miss Lamb! Come here at once!' "'Oh,' said Miss Lamb, her smile vanishing, "'my keeper. "'Where have you been? This is most irresponsible of you.' Charlotte went forward to meet the older woman, who was quite red in the face. "'Mrs. Griffiths, forgive me. Paddling in the sea was all my idea. Don't blame Georgiana.' Mrs. Griffiths scarcely acknowledged her, too exasperated with her wayward charge. "'Come back to the house at once, Georgiana. I am surprised at you. Anyone could have seen you, bare-legged with your skirts up.' Behind her, the Beaufort sisters giggled until Miss Lamb glared at them. "'At least I was enjoying myself,' she said, "'for the first time since I came here.' As she followed the outraged Mrs. Griffiths up the beach, Miss Lamb looked back and waved at Charlotte, who smiled back. Glad to have made a friend, but still reluctant to turn, return to Trafalgar House, she continued down the, on down the beach. She had neglected to put her shoes and stockings back on, and the damp sand underfoot felt wonderfully cool and smooth. She wandered idly, enjoying the sensation not only of the elements, but the lack of worrying thoughts in her head. Mr. Tom was right. The air in Sanditon was healing. Her eyes searched the sand for shells, the prettiest of which she put in her skirt's pocket. Before long, she came to a small outcrop of rock. She had never walked this far before, but she wanted to see the little cove on the other side. It wasn't accessible when the tide was high. Lifting her skirts and still clutching her shoes and stockings, she picked her way carefully over the rocks. Jumping down onto the sand, she looked around her, ready to admire the secret spot where she could spend a solitary moment, and saw instead a pile of clothes. She had barely absorbed what this might signify when a movement to her right made her startle. There, emerging from the water, was a man. A naked man! It took her another moment to realize that this man, lean and strong and entirely without clothes, was in fact Sidney Parker. Oh! She turned her back, cheeks aflame. Miss Haywood, he said from behind her, with admirable calmness, am I never to get away from you? Mr. Parker, I assure you, you were the last person I wished to see. Her voice was strangled. I beg your pardon. I spoke in haste. Forgive me. She couldn't think what to say, and... Apparently, from the silence behind her, neither could he. Both of them stood, not looking at each other, for what, for what felt like an age. Finally, Charlotte gathered her wits along with her skirts. Of course, she said, cursing the quaver in her voice. Excuse me. Scarlet-cheeked, she hurried away as fast as her bare feet would let her, almost slipping on the rocks in her haste to leave him in a scene so excessively steeped in mortification. Chapter 12 Though it was early enough that Sanditon's cliffs were still cloaked in the dawn's haze, the laborers of Mr. Parker's new terrace had already been at their work an hour. Close to the building site of Waterloo Terrace, the air was rent with the sounds of stone being hammered and chiseled into shape, 
Among the workers was old Stringer, who winced as he lifted a full hod and moved it onto his shoulder, his old knees creaking and the topmost bricks teetering dangerously as he gripped the ladder and began to climb. Watching this with concern was his son. He'd taken up the need for more paid men with Mr. Parker a couple of times now, but it was no good. The man was too distracted to properly listen. Not far away, the relentless din of the hammers had found its way through the open window of the Crown Hotel bar, where Sidney Parker was lying sprawled across a table in yesterday's clothes. Around him lay the sordid detritus, detritus of the previous night's excesses, guttered candles, empty bottles, and claret-stained playing cards. He groaned as he came to, the rhythmic crashing finally penetrating his dreams and clutching his head. "'Show some mercy,' he muttered. "'It's rudely early.' The door banged open, adding to the general racket, and Babington and Crow burst in. They grinned when they caught sight of him. "'For shame!' said Crow, delighted. "'Look at the state of him, Babbers!' Babington righted a glass which had rolled to the edge of the table. "'A wretched sight, indeed!' Crow lay, leant in close to Sidney. "'Is that not what Miss Haywood said when she ran into you by the covers last night?' Both he and Babington laughed uproariously. Sidney rubbed his temples. "'I should never have mentioned it. Had you not forced that fifth bottle on me?' "'Never mind that now, old friend,' interrupted Babington. You need to have a shave and get some deviled kidneys down you. We're leaving. At almost that precise moment, Charlotte Haywood had descended the stairs of Trafalgar House, only to come to a halt below the portrait of a Sidney Parker in much finer fettle than the man himself. Observing again that his dark eyes seemed to peer right into her soul, she blushed, recollecting yet again the shaming encounter at the beach. A brief image of him emerging from the water stole into her head. The way the waves had lapped against his strong thighs, the sight of his. "'Good morning, Charlotte,' Charlotte gasped and spun round to find Mrs. Parker regarding her with amusement. "'Oh, good morning. Did you enjoy your walk yesterday? I didn't hear you come in.' "'Yes, no, I, I went down to the beach to gather shells and time ran away with me.' "'Anything impressive catch your eye?' Charlotte started, and, as she felt herself color again, fought the urge to simply run back up the stairs. "'What?' she stammered. Mrs. Parker raised a quizzical eyebrow. "'Shell-wise?' "'Oh, no, I came back empty-handed.' "'How disappointing.' After Mrs. Parker went off in the direction of the servants' stairs, Charlotte found her gaze returning to the portrait. Much exasperated with her own foolish behavior, she straightened her tucker and shook herself off and took herself off to Mr. Parker's study, determined to think of his brother no more. Though her thoughts still strayed where they shouldn't, she had restored some order to her host's untidy paperwork when she heard raised voices in the hallway. Damn it, Sydney! she recognized Tom Parker's voice. Did my words mean nothing to you? cannot force them to stay. Now it was Sydney. The fact of the matter is that there is simply not enough to tempt them here. They need more entertainment. I am sorry, Tom. We leave this morning. She froze as their footsteps grew louder. 
her eyes darting around the room for somewhere she might hide herself. In desperation, she ducked behind the desk just as the brothers strode in. How am I to fill these empty houses, Sydney? said Tom. I confess I was relying on. He paused, and she knew she was spotted. Charlotte? She rose, a piece of paper clutched in her hand. There it is, she said, inwardly cringing at the falseness of her tone. Sydney was taken aback. Miss Haywood, always popping up when least expected. She couldn't meet his eye, though she knew he was on her. Oh, no. She couldn't meet his eye, though she knew his was on her. I I will leave you to it, gentlemen. With that, she rushed, pa- rushed past them with her head down. It was only on the stairs that she recalled what Sydney had said to Tom about leaving, and wondered how long it might be until she saw him again. When an hour later, Mrs. Parker suggested Charlotte accompanying her and her children to the beach, she was heartily glad of the distraction. It was a pleasant day, blue-skied, with the only clouds high and white and scudding fast overhead. Tom used to have all the time in the world for the children, said Mrs. Parker when Alicia, Jenny, and Henry had taken off across the sand. Charlotte, still caught up in her own disturbing thoughts, was struck with guilt. For her, here was her hostess lacking her usual cheer, her problems so much larger than Charlotte's. She took the older lady's arm in a gesture of comfort. I'm sure he will again, once things have settled a little. Mrs. Parker gave her a rueful look. And when will that be, I wonder? Once the terrace is finished? Once every last house is let? Sometimes I fear he'll just keep adding and obsessing until the day he drops down dead and the plan still clutched in his hands. Charlotte felt quite useless. I wish there was more I could do to help. Mrs. Parker patted her hand. I am afraid my husband, like most men, is reluctant to accept help from anyone. At the least, you must never let him catch you in the act. Though she was still not quite herself by the time they returned to Trafalgar House, the outing did seem to have raised Mrs. Parker's spirits a little. Sadly, this was to be short-lived. As they climbed the steps to the front door, it was flung open by Mr. Parker. Wickens, he was calling over his shoulder to the footman. I will need our couch at er, I will need our coach and my hat right away. He opened his arms in greeting when he saw his wife and Charlotte on the steps. Where are you going? exclaimed Mrs. Parker. You shall see soon enough, my dear. But how long will you be gone? A note of exasperation had crept into her voice, but her husband didn't appear to notice. For as long as it takes. If my plan succeeds, I may just have hit upon the perfect means to draw people to Sanditon. With that, he kissed her and the children and hurried down the steps. Charlotte caught Mrs. Parker's eye, conveying her sympathy well enough without words. She remembered what Mary, for she was now Mary, as Mr. Parker had become Tom, had said when she first arrived, that Sanditon was a second wife to Tom. Today it seemed that Sanditon was not just a rival to Mary. She was the wife her husband preferred. On the sand that Charlotte had not long left herself, a trio of artists had set up easels. A closer look showed them to be Miss Lamb and the Beaufort sisters, Phyllida and Julia. They were accompanied by Mrs. Griffiths, who watched them hawk-like from under her parasol, 
and Mr. Hankins, the vicar, who was reading out improving passages of Genesis when they, while they painted. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. And why was that, do we suppose? Because of sin, Mr. Hankins, intoned Phyllida. He bestowed on her an oily smile. Quite right. Although since you are under the aegis of Mrs. Griffiths, another ingratiating smile, I am sure the very idea of sin is foreign to you. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him in help. I will make him an help meet. And who was that help meet? Eve, Mr. Hankins. It was Julia who spoke up this time. Miss Lamb resisted, flicking her paintbrush at the girl's upright back. Eve, very good, miss, beamed Mr. Hankins. The mother of us all. And who else was there? The serpent. And what did the serpent do? He tempted Eve, didn't he? He tempted her to do something she was forbidden to do. And she couldn't resist, could she? Young woman, women, sadly, often find it very hard to resist temptation. He allowed himself to look over at each young lady in turn. Their smooth skin, their narrow waists, he swallowed noisily. So what did the serpent tempt Eve to do? Eat the apple, Mr. Hankins. That's right. Miss Lamb put her brush down with a clatter. And what's so bad about eating an apple? Mr. Hankins adopted a grave expression. Because this apple was a special apple from the tree of knowledge, and because God had forbidden Adam and Eve to eat the apples from that tree. Why? He was taken aback. Why? Because he's God. We don't question God, do we, Mrs. Griffiths? Certainly not, Mr. Hankins, she said piously, directing the words at Miss Lamb. Perhaps it is time you showed us your work, ladies. All three girls turned around their easels. The Beaufort's efforts were clumsy but anodyne, daubings of unnatural blue sea, and with some vague attempt to capture the crests of waves in white. Mr. Hankins and Mrs. Griffiths were nodding and smiling encouragingly, but then caught sight of Mrs. Lamb's infinitely saucier painting. Mrs. Griffiths covered her mouth with her hand. Why, Miss Lamb, I have never... I thought the sea was a bit dreary, so I used my imagination. She swallowed the laugh that was threatening to burst out of her. Girls, turn away at once until Mr. Hankins has removed this, this... Her voice rose to a shriek. Obscenity! Mr. Hankins dark darted forward as instructed, though it was noted by all that he took rather longer than was necessary to turn the offending item around, all thoughts of Genesis apparently having left his head.